When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Episode number 56. We thank you for being with us here today. Trey Anity, Marty Leap, Nick Caparoso. We're excited to have the full crew back with us. Marty, Nick, Pirates have had their struggles here. As of late, a little bit of a losing streak. Looking to get snapped tonight against Cleveland. Overall, though, some positive signs in double A. We're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about the 2021 first-year player draft, our mock draft 2.0. But before we get into that, Marty, Nick, how are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing good. Um, now, first and foremost, congratulations are in order for Nick. Uh, he and his wife, Lauren, will be going to Las Vegas next week to celebrate their one-year wedding anniversary. Um, crazy to believe it's been a year already. It was a blast his wedding last year. Had the honor of being in the wedding. My wife and I did, and remember like it was yesterday, so congrats to them on that. And uh, also congrats to Nick, who, uh, for those of you who are longtime listeners of the show, know that Nick and I have long worked in education, and Nick's been a long-term substitute at the same building for I think four or five years now, and he got his permanent full-time contract on Monday, so congrats to him on that as well. Big shout-out to Nick for all of that. Really a big deal getting that contract and the, and the uh, anniversary as well. Tyler Anderson has looked really good this year and has kind of added a lot to that trade value. Might not end up being traded, but it could certainly be a piece. He had a bad outing, though. Really just one bad inning against D.C. earlier this week. And it wasn't kind of the bad inning that we were used to when it was Tyler Anderson. It wasn't long balls. It was a lot of base hits and, you know, a lot of runs scored in that inning, obviously. How much does this affect his trade stock? You know, does it really hurt? It's one inning, but obviously these teams, um, you know, are pretty keyed in onto him at this point. What do you guys think? Marty, you want to get us started there? Yeah, um, I think it really doesn't impact Tyler Anderson's trade value all that much. Teams know what they're getting in Anderson. He's a veteran lefty. He's going to eat innings. He's going to give you length. Um, he even did that, you know, against the Nationals the other night. Still went six innings, still helped save the bullpen. And his ERA this year, you know, overall 489, not pretty. But he had that bad inning against Washington the other night uh, that started against Atlanta, the 20-1 to game. He gave up, I think, four or five runs in the fourth or fifth inning. So between those two innings, Anderson has allowed 23% of his earned runs this year in only two innings. Uh, you take those two innings away, his ERA drops by like a run and a half. Teams know that. Teams see that. They know the Anderson you're going to get a lefty who's going to nine starts out of ten, go out there and give you five, six, seven quality innings, give you a chance to win a ball game. And as we've seen his two bad starts this year, even when he's struggling, he's still going to give you five or six innings, help save the bullpen. And, you know, that's got value, especially coming from the left-hand side. 
yeah, I don't think it will affect his trade stock too much. Um, he is a veteran pitcher at this point. He's a lefty who has put together, you know, enough good enough starts to provide something of value. No team trading for him is looking at him as a big time difference maker, but they're looking at a solid veteran who can eat some innings and maybe fill in that number four or number five spot in their rotation down the stretch when an injury occurs, or if maybe, you know, by the deadline, they already have that injury. So like I said, Anderson, all the value in him is just coming from solely him being a left-handed stirring pitcher. If anything, um, it was impressive that he still was able to get, you know, into, into and through the sixth inning, despite that tough first inning. So that's where I'm kind of at on him. I don't think it's uh, anything to worry about too much. Now, obviously there's a lot of time between now and July 31st, so he can't have too many of those. No doubt. I mean, it, it's one inning and he really has looked good throughout this season. Hopefully he can bounce back and really bounce back in that game. Like you're talking about there. A lot of really good pitching down in the minors. We talked about it a little bit last episode. Ramsey Contreras has kind of highlighted that group. But you talk about guys like Carmen Majinski, have come a long way as we start to, to really get to see the trade return and guys like even Eddie Yeen and, of course, Miguel Yahure, a little bit of a setback there with the elbow. What's kind of the update on him and, um, you know, the update on all these minor league pitchers? They're really doing some work down there. Yeah, to start with Miguel Yure, um, it looks like the Pirates may have potentially really dodged a bullet there. I mean, you know, you hear forearm tightness and your mind always immediately, every time, goes Tommy John. And, you know, if you have Tommy John at this point in the season, you're going to miss almost the majority of the following season. We saw with Chad Cole a couple years ago where he missed all of 2019 after having Tommy John in the summer of 18. But, you know, it looks like that's not going to be the case for you, Ray, you know, knock on wood. And he could, you know, be back pitching for Indianapolis within the next few weeks. Um, as for the other guys you mentioned, I mean, what's, what is there still to say about Rollins Contreras at this point? I mean, seven starts at double A. He's got a 203 ERA. He's striking out 37% of batters faced, only walking 5%. Posing hitters are only hitting 160 off of him. I mean, and he gave up. He had that one start where he had four or five runs, whatever it was. And every other start, he's given up one earned run or less. It's incredible. Um, what really makes it impressive is he's only 21, and this is his first taste of double-A ball. I don't think it's going to be long until you see Contreras, you know, get promoted from Altoona to Indianapolis. Sure. So the minor leagues has been really impressive and especially the double a level. Um, you're looking at uh, Altoona curve lineup that is just mashing the ball. And I know we've been talking about a lot about Ronzi Contreras and what he's doing there. And that's obviously super because we need that starting pitching. Right. But the, the power that is being displayed from Adolfo Castro, O'Neill Cruz, Mason Martin, Cal Mitchell, um, you know, in that, and Kanan Smith and Jigba, that's something that the Pittsburgh Pirates are missing. You know, we always talk about the pitching, but the team has been lacking power for years. Even when they had Josh Bell um, break out that one year, they still were lacking power. Like, so to see guys in double A showing consistent home run power 
I mean, that's what I'm most excited about. And O'Neill Cruz obviously is leading that pack. If you follow Twitter at all, um, you've seen some of the moonshots he's hit. Some of the jokes about him having to pay for damages to that roller coaster out there, um, and it's it's not a lie. I mean, we've seen we've heard some ridiculous stats about how far and how hard he's hitting um, these pitches. So it's uh, I'm I'm very excited for some of that power potential to get up here, um, and I don't think they'll be that far off. You know, you look at the potential of this rotation in the future. And you just get so excited thinking about some of these guys and who knows who's added to this group potentially in the draft. We'll get to that later on though. Marty, there's a pitcher we talk about a lot on this show and it's a guy that we haven't been able to talk much positively about throughout uh, really the history of our podcast and the history of his career. Mitch Keller has struggled at the big league level. Uh, you know, we've seen the signs and we've seen the stuff. That's the thing. We know he's got it and we don't want this to turn into a Tyler Glasnow situation. He was optioned to AAA, though, and from what we've heard, great article out by uh, our staff writer Noah Wright right now, kind of recapping how that's gone. It's been getting better, and he's really looked pretty solid down there in AAA. Is this, you know, the, the Band-Aid, I guess, for his issues? When do we see him get back up, and, you know, what's the outlook now on Keller? I mean, I personally, I, I view this as kind of putting the, you know, putting the Band-Aid on the gunshot wound. I just I don't know what going to AAA is really going to do for him. I mean, yes, he's made one outing so far. He only pitched one inning, struck out two to three batters he faced. But I, I think with Keller, I don't think it's an overall confidence issue. I do think he has some confidence issue in the majors. And going on AAA and pitching well isn't going to fix that. Now, the one thing I will say that I do hope we see, and Joel Hanrahan, who is the pitching coach now for AAA, for those of you who may not know that, um, said that he really wants to instill some of that bulldog mentality in Mitch Keller. You know, some of that for, you know, that AJ Burnett type attitude of like, F you, here's my stuff, try and hit it. And I think that could go a long way for Keller, but not everybody has that personality. Not everybody is that type of way. And we're going to find out because I definitely think that's something Keller could use some of, but I personally think optioning him to AAA, like I said, it's like putting the bandaid on the gunshot wound. It's not, it might fix things temporarily, but in the long run, if he's going to fix stuff, he has to fix it facing major league batters. Yeah. For Mitch Keller going down, um, you know, a big thing Joel Hanrahan's been talking about down there is getting him to kind of pitch with the mentality. They're working on some specific things that they want him doing. And that's why they're using him in short stints also to, con- you know, keep control of his pitch count. Cause they don't want him throwing five, six, seven innings down there, they'd rather him be doing that up here. So if he can work on what he needs to out of the bullpen down there, then that's great. But I also think there's something else going on here. I think Joel Hanrahan wants to teach him how to attack hitters. Um, You know, it's one thing we talk about how Keller doesn't look confident on the mound, and and that's 100% true. But what it comes down to is Mitch Keller – throws a 97 mile per hour fastball and he's a thro- he's afraid to throw it into the zone. I think Joel Hanrahan might want to um, you know, try to really uh teach him to be a bulldog on the mound. I don't know how far that will carry him. Like I've written about and talked about on here numerous times. If you look at Mitch Keller's spin rates, they're not impressive. They are all very league average-ish and they've declined. Um over the last couple of years too. So there's 
when you start to look at that, you start to look at a flat 97 mile per hour fastball. You understand why he's getting hit hard when he does leave it in the zone, which then in turn affects his confidence. So I really don't think his confidence is the biggest issue, but I also can understand that, you know, they got to try something to get this kid to have a different approach on the mound and unlock something. So quick update from Cleveland here. The Indians and the Pirates playing tonight. The Pirates had a pretty decisive lead in this one. It's now 11-7. to We've seen the bullpen look really good, especially Sam Howard. What's the deal tonight, Marty? Um, yeah, I mean, the deal tonight was a lot of the same things that Derek Shelton has been doing that has really frustrated not just me, but a lot of Pirate fans. Uh, I mean, he talks about wanting to get more length out of the starting pitchers. Well, Chad Cole comes out, gives you six scoreless, his only or six innings, one run, excuse me has a 10-run lead, has only thrown 75 pitches, and you pull him. And you go to Sam Howard, which has been a safe bet this year, but it was very clear from the get-go Howard didn't have it tonight and left him in there entirely too long, left him in long enough to give up a grand slam and cut the lead 11-7. to And now Kyle Crick just about busted Jose Ramirez's kneecap in half and gave up another hit. Now the Indians have two on, two on nobody on the eighth. So this this is far from over. And the Pirates very well may blow an 11-to-1 lead tonight. And a part of that could be due to Darren Shelton, even at the end of June and year two, still having no idea how to manage a pitching staff during a game. Oh, oh. No, I mean, it, it's been the story. And, uh, you know, we, we try not to berate anybody around with the team. But last year we, we got into that a, a good bit. This bullpen was super mismanaged. And we've seen it tonight, if nothing else. That game's in the top of the eighth. It is 11-7 Pirates, two on, nobody out for the Indians. We'll keep you updated as long as we're here uh, in the studio. And I appreciate you guys bearing with my audio feed tonight. I'm currently at a baseball stadium. So, uh, you know, we're just going to call it a live studio audience tonight. It's the, the sounds <laughs> of baseball we're trying to incorporate here. Uh, but, you know, talking about Keller, Marty, is this it? I mean, at the end of this season, if nothing changes, is, is Mitch Keller going to be a pirate? I'll be really interested to see what happens. I mean, you don't want to give up on a guy too soon. Um, the fact is minor league options left, I think keeps him around through the off season. I don't think he'll be a roster casualty for that reason, but, um, you know, depending on how the rest of the season shakes out, if he doesn't get to the major leagues and pitch well at any point the rest of the way, I don't, I think he's gonna have to fight to make the opening day roster next year. I mean, you know, health permitting, you're probably looking at JT Brubaker, Rowan's and Contreras, Miguel Yahura having three of the five rotation spots locked up you probably add somebody in the off season, excuse me. And then you're going to have Steven Brault coming back at some point. You're going to want to get a look at Max Kranick. You know, he, he's really going to have to battle to get his way back into that starting rotation. When do we see Quinn Priester? I know he could, you know, maybe be a part of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll be very curious to see how aggressive they are with Priester. I mean, one thing Ben Carrington has done that Neil Huntington did not do a lot is uh, Charrington has been pretty aggressive with promoting Prospects through the minors. I mean, Priester currently at high A through his first seven starts this year. He's got three, five, two ERA, 21% strikeout rate, only 6% walk rate. So all in all, you know, pretty solid numbers for a kid who is only 20 years old and making his high A debut. So, I mean, I think in a dream, a dream scenario, you want to see Priester double A by the end of the year, uh, put him in a position to maybe reach triple A at some point next year. I still don't think we see him until 2023. But if he gets the double A and then gets triple A and he's dominating and the pirate rotation continues to be a hot mess, who knows what happens? But I think 2023 is probably still the realistic outlook for when we see Quinn Priester in a pirate uniform.
uh, Quinn Priester, he has a lot of work to do um, right now, but the big thing is, is he's pitching at high A and each start he's getting better. And that was the biggest thing. He started the year rough and there was some concerns like, Oh no, we always, we've heard about is Quinn Priester. Like understand, like, you know, this is his first full professional season against opposing lineups. Like he got pushed to high A over low A, which was obviously he would have been in low A last year, but you know, it's still for your, your professional debut, you know, you're going up against higher level competition than people are expecting you to. So I think we saw some hiccups early. And like I said, since then, we've seen him steadily improving. Um, I don't think they're going to rush him being a prep arm. I think they want to make sure that they're managing him correctly. With that, I, you know, think he gets the double A obviously this season, and I think he can pitch his way out of double A if he has a good last couple weeks there, and then shows up in next spring and takes another step forward. I think that's why they put him at high A this year instead of low A was because they were he was ahead of what they expected him to be. And it seems like that's his attitude towards things. So I could see him starting the year in AAA next year. Um, but it would be because of him forcing their hand. I don't think it will be the front office uh, trying to rush him up. I think that's fair. I mean, you got to take your time. And there's so many arms now. And we're going to talk about the draft. Uh, I've been teasing it a ton tonight. Um, but, you know, you may not need an arm when it comes to all that. Call Moran. Got hurt. Came back. Battled another injury, has returned again. Is this going to linger throughout the season, you think, here, Marty? Or is this going to kind of be something that we can put to bed now? Um, It definitely seems like the Pirates are going to do all they can to make sure it's not something that lingers throughout the season. Um, Tonight was his first start in about a week. He was one for three, drove in a run, and he actually got pulled. I want to say it was in the top of the seventh. I think you're top of the sixth, top of the seventh. And they put Philip Evans at first base. And um, I guess on the, my first fear was he aggravated the back again. But Greg Brown and yeah. Kevin talking about on the TV broadcast, I guess the Pirates are going to kind of ease him back into things. And I think they're, you know, that's probably a good plan, especially in a season like this where you know you're not going anywhere. You have Moran who has emerged as potentially one of your building blocks moving forward. So take it easy with him. If he only plays five, six innings a night for the next week or two until he's 100%, that's fine. Like you, you have nothing to play for what you right now, having a healthy Colin Moran, the rest of the season and into the off season is much more important than trying to push him and make sure he's out there for nine innings every night. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the thing, Marty, this season is what it is. We've talked about it countless times on this podcast. It's there's no urgency. There's no reason to force anything. Um, you know, you hope that this isn't something that lingers. We're going to keep a tab open on that one. The part of the episode now that I've really been excited to, to get into, and I know Pirates fans have been excited to talk about all offseason into this season as well. Who's it going to be? Pirates have the number one pick in the 2021 first-year player draft, getting closer and closer now. Marty, I, you know, I, I have to be open. I know you guys are big fans of the high school hitters, and that's, that's great. I think they would be awesome selections, but uh, I'm still on the Jack Leiter boat. I think the kid's stuff is just too good. His location, I mean, we're seeing it, you know, in the Super Regional into Omaha now. He's been unbelievable. I think the, the, the timetable is great. Of course, barring an injury, uh, I think Jack Leiter's the dude. And um, 
you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to say who they're going to pick because we don't know, but uh, I, I think that that would be a very, very comfortable number one overall pick. But I know you think a little bit differently. Who do you see them taking, Marty? I'm, I'm on board with the hitters as well. Um, I'm sure the Pirates still are discussing Jack Leiter, but at this point I would be pretty surprised if they don't go hitter. Personally, I still like Jordan Lawler the best. I think I would go him. I think I would give him a slight edge over Marcelo Mayer. But the thing with Mayer and where I understand a lot of the intrigue with him, and this is something Nick and I have talked about a ton, is because he's a California kid, he couldn't really get out and get scouted much of the last year because California had a lot stricter COVID restrictions in most states. And that could be a factor here as well, where I think teams are just now starting to see him kind of scratch that surface. Um, I think if Henry Davis, if he was projected to stay behind the plate, I think he's your pick. But since he's not projected to stay behind the plate, that takes away a lot of his value because you can get that power bat, you know, for a corner infield or outfield spot in a lot of other places. But it still wouldn't shock me if the Pirates went Davis. But I, I think it's going to be one of the high school shortstops. I'm just not sure which one. Except personally, I'd probably go Jordan Lawler with a slight edge. But I'm going to be perfectly happy with either one of those shortstops, number one overall. Because even when the Pirates were really good in 13, 14, and 15, and then even again in 18 when they had a winning record, shortstop has always been – they have not had – I mean, really, I mean, Jack Wilson had that one good offensive season, but if you want to, you probably got to go back to Jay Bell the last time the Pirates had that shortstop, you know, was going to be in the lineup every day, give you good offense and play plus defense. And Lawler and Mayer both have the ability to be that shortstop. If the draft was today, I believe it would be Marcelo Meyer. Um, he's the name that if you've been looking into, you've seen a lot lately. He's really gone up draft boards and taken over that number one spot at least in terms of, you know, for offensive players. The other name is Khalil Watson. Um, he is another player like Mayer who was affected by the COVID shortened season last year um, because there, there wasn't much scouting going on last year and where he was playing. Um, there wasn't a lot of eyes on him. So he was a little behind the curve compared to a guy like Jordan Lawler. And he's really showed out this spring. And I do know that there's a lot to like about his athleticism and his bat-to-ball skills. You know, I think what it's going to come down to is preference on who they really believe um, is going to take the biggest discount. And Pirate fans don't take that the wrong way. Um, the Pittsburgh Pirates have over $9 million to spend on the first overall pick. If you go back over the last five years, I'm off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure at least four of those, if not all five top picks, took less than their signing bonus. So it, it's a typical thing for that to happen. But what this draft is missing is they're missing a slam dunk guy. For a lot of of last year, people thought it was Kumar Rocker, but Rocker, this isn't me saying this. This isn't Marty saying this. This isn't Trey saying this. This is the consensus among MLB Pipeline, Baseball America, Fangraphs, and other insiders across baseball that Kumar Rocker might not even go in the top five anymore. He probably isn't going top five. Maybe not even the top 10. 
Yeah. I mean, honestly, I said that I think on the last show that he might not get a top 10. I could see the kid from Texas going in front of a Madden, the pitcher. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I don't understand the argument with that, um, that we still see that. It's not like, you know, people continue to say, well, they're not going to take the best p- player on the board. And it's like, well, clearly he's not the best player on the board. Like, no one has him there anymore. Um, and the same's with Lighter. Uh, I, I get the allure of Lighter. Um, I, I have some concern about his delivery. It's very high action for a small body. Um, you know, like we've talked about his velocity has decreased and everyone has once again, a different opinion of that. What I do know is, uh, like two weeks ago, I was watching him pitch in the sixth inning of the Georgia tech game and his velocity was at 92 mile per hour. Okay. Not the 97, 98 that we want to see now. Yeah, he's a he's a pitcher, and obviously he can develop into that. Pitchers are just a big risk. We all know that. Um, the way Ben Charrington drafts, he does not like to uh, put a lot of risk in his top picks. And when I when I um, reference the way Ben Charrington drafts, I'm referencing um, his drafts through Toronto and into his last um, year or two, I believe, in Boston. Uh, you could really start to see a pattern and he really prefers to take hitters um, and hitters who have the tools and athleticism that he knows, you know, he's feeling confident they'll be able to make an impact. And that's why I think he's looking at the shortstop market and he's going to get the biggest upside hitter right now. It's looking like Marcella Meyer who'll probably save a decent chunk of change on that and be able to transfer that later into the draft. But you talk a lot about middle infielders. You know, when you think about the Pirates organization right now, last year they took a middle infielder with their first round pick. Do you think that kind of has an influence on the decision at all? Obviously, they've already come out and said they're not drafting for need. They're, they're getting the best player out there. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of guys fighting for those middle infield spots in the organization. Uh, uh, first off, Holy shit, they're actually going to blow this. It is now 11 to 10, and the Indians have the tying run on second. <laughs> and That's another night in Pirates world. Second off, I don't think drafting Nick Gonzalez last year is a factor here. It's the baseball draft. As we've talked about a ton, this isn't the NBA. This isn't the NFL. It's not even NHL to a lesser extent, but still, you don't draft for need in the baseball draft. You go best player available, especially in the first round and especially number one overall. And the thing is, Gonzalez projects as a second baseman. Lawler and Mara both project as shortstops. Yes, you have Alvaro Paguero. Um, I think O'Neill Cruz, as much as his offense has been awesome at Altoona this year, he has shown why he will not be at shortstop long-term with the glove. So, I mean, even if Paguero pans out and is the, the quality shortstop I think he can be, and then Lawler and Mara, whoever your draft pans out, that's a good problem to have. You figure it out down the road, but in baseball, you always go best player available. And Jason Mackey from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette had a story up today talking about how from some of the sources he spoke with within the organization, their scouts believe Lawler and Mayer have the two highest ceilings in the draft. So, again, you go based off best player available. You go based off that ceiling. And, you know, a lot of people, and apparently the Pittsburgh Pirates included, believe that that is Marcelo Mayer or Jordan Lawler. Hold on, Pirates. Come on. Just need one here. Um no, I, you know, you're always drafting for the best player. And those two have had the, the really solid um, projections as far as pro comparisons go. 
Let's talk about the second round a little bit, though. The Pirates obviously have the number one overall pick, but an opportunity to, to kind of get a steal here in the second round. What do you see going down there? They went very pitching heavy in last year's draft. Do we see a pitcher go in the second round? So the first two names that a lot of people are talking about, pick 37, and what makes sense to the strategy I'm talking about is LSU starter Jaden Hill and Ole Miss uh, starter Gunnar Hogland. Hogland is one who some believe he could be off the board before, but once again, in the draft, the way teams are able to kind of work deals um, beforehand, you never know. Hill is more projected to be available around the Pirates pick at 37. He's a risk. I mean, he's had arm issues through college and now coming off Tommy John. But one positive you could kind of spin that is you can say he's getting his Tommy John out of the way right now, right? The big concern for me taking Jack later at pick one is you get him in here, you start developing him for a year, then he has to take off a year and a half because he blows his elbow out. Jaden Hill's coming back from Tommy John, all right. The chances of him needing a second one would not, you know, are not very likely. So you could kind of look at that and say, well, hey, he's already getting through this and we'll be able to kind of start him fresh next year into our organization. Um, the only thing I'm going to say about that is what I said about the first pick. Ben Charrington doesn't necessarily like to take risks um, when he's drafting. Typically, what he considers a risk is like a prep player. So I don't know about an injured player. I think Ben Charrington will stick to college at pick 37 and go prep with pick 64. Um, this is similar to what he did last year um, by taking Nick Gonzalez and Carmen Mladzinski. Mil- Mil- um, and then following it up with Jared Jones, the prep right-hander. So I, I, I think that would be something similar um, that could play out. So that's what Jaden Hill might happen, but I just don't know if that's the direction they're going to go in, and especially because of the uh, money if they want to go prep with that uh, next pick. So do you want more names? <laughs> Because one name I don't want them to take is Adrian Del Castillo. He's a catcher that was originally supposed to be a first-round pick. He's sliding down boards. Let me just tell you all now one thing that you should know about Ben Charrington, whether it's the draft, the trades that he has made. When he acquires players, their, uh, their arrows are pointed up. So a guy like Adrian Del Castillo is probably not on Ben Charrington's board because he is trending in the wrong direction. Another arm that I could possibly see going there is Tommy Mace. He's a big right-handed pitcher from Florida. Um, He was a potential first-round pick last year, and he's once again sitting in the same area. Um, He throws pretty hard, would be quick to the major leagues, and signability once again with him would be pretty easy. Um, You'd probably be able to get him at slot, if not lower, to really saddle up for that pick at number 64 for a, a high-end prep player, if that's what you want to do. Uh, yeah, you know, to, to – oh, excuse me. To build off what Nick had to say there with that second-round pick, I mean, that number 37 are overall, it's very intriguing. I think what the Pirates do at number one could be telling. Um, and this is part of the reason also why I believe they will draft Marcelo Mayer number one overall. Um, Fangraphs, when they released their big board last week – 
had merit number one overall and also project him to sign for 2 million less than Jordan Lawler. Um, I don't, I know people are going to say, Oh, cheap, this, nothing, that blah, blah, blah. But if you can get the number one overall player on Fangraphs board and save $2 million in the process, you do it every time, especially because then that gives you more money to work with at number 37. And, you know, you could see a guy who might, there might be questions about his signability, especially if you look to go prep, that could give you some more options there. You know, you have a guy that I like a lot who, again, an infielder, Max Muncy, and not the Max Muncy, the Dodgers, obviously, but yeah. Max Muncy, who's a high school shortstop out of California, Tyler Whitaker, an outfielder from Bishop Gorman in Nevada, um, even staying in stadium in Pennsylvania, Lonnie White is an outfielder who is currently committed to Penn State to play football and has just been shooting up draft boards. Most draft boards have him as a top 50 or 40 pick at this point. With that football commitment, you're probably going to have to overpay him a little bit if you want to sign him. The Pirates have the money there to do that if they want to sign a guy like that. Um, looking at the college round, I mean, I think the name everybody's going to go to is going to be Jaden Hill. Prior to the start of the season, Jaden Hill is a projected top five or six pick. You know, had that elbow injury with LSU, that's really going to hurt his draft stock. But I think if he's there at 37, man, take that chance. Take that chance because if Hill can get healthy, he's got elite stuff and can anchor your rotation. And you can still get that ace. Um, another college arm to watch. I don't know if he'll fall this far, but Gunnar Hogland, who the Pirates actually drafted out of high school. Um, I loved him coming out of high school. I loved the pick. And it was reported by the uh, Tampa Bay newspaper that he had signed with the Pirates and it was good to go. And then one day he showed up at Ole Miss for class and it's just my dreams are crushed. But I think Hogland is a guy to watch as well if you want to go college arm there. And I would not be surprised to see the Pirates go college arm at 37 just based off of Ben Charrington's draft history. But I also think if they get to number 37 and there's a high school bat or arm there that they really like, you could potentially see them use the money that they're likely going to save in drafting Marcelo Mayer and use that to try and overslot a guy at 37. So the first two names that a lot of people are talking about pick 37 and what makes sense to the strategy I'm talking about is LSU starter Jaden Hill and Ole Miss uh, starter Gunnar Hogland. Hogland is one who some believe he could be off the board before, but once again, in the draft, the way teams are able to kind of work deals um, beforehand, you never know. Hill is more projected to be available around the Pirates pick at 37. He's a risk. I mean, he's had arm issues through college and now coming off Tommy John. But one positive you could kind of spin that is you can say he's getting his Tommy John out of the way right now, right? The big concern for me taking Jack later at pick one is you get him in here, you start developing him for a year, then he has to take off a year and a half because he blows his elbow out. Jaden Hill's coming back from Tommy John all right. The chances of him needing a second one would not, you know, are not very likely. So you could kind of look at that and say, well, hey, he's already getting through this and we'll be able to kind of start him fresh next year into our organization. Um, the only thing I'm going to say about that is what I said about the first pick. Ben Charrington doesn't necessarily like to take risks um, when he's drafting. Typically what he considers a risk is like a prep player. So I don't know about an injured player. I think Ben Charrington will stick to college at pick 37. 
and go prep with pick 64. Um, this is similar to what he did last year. Um, by taking Nick Gonzalez and Carmen Mladzinski and then following it up with Jared Jones, the prep right-hander. So I, I, I think that would be something similar um, that could play out. So that's what Jaden Hill might happen, but I just don't know if that's the direction they're going to go in, and especially because of the uh, money if they want to go prep with that uh, next pick. So, do you want more names? Because <laughs> one no, name no. I don't want them to take is Adrian Del Castillo. He's a catcher that was originally supposed to be a first-round pick. He's sliding down boards. Let me just tell you all now one thing that you should know about Ben Charrington, whether it's the draft, the trades that he has made. When he acquires players, their, uh, their arrows are pointed up. So a guy like Adrian Del Castillo is probably not on Ben Charrington's board because he is trending in the wrong direction. Another arm that I could possibly see going there is Tommy Mace. He's a big right-handed pitcher from Florida. Um, he was a potential first-round pick last year, and he's once again sitting in the same area. Um, he throws pretty hard, would be quick to the major leagues, and signability once again with him would be pretty easy. Um, you'd probably be able to get him at slot, if not lower, to really saddle up for that pick at number 64 for a, a high-end prep player, if that's what you want to do. Yeah, no doubt. You all good on the names there, Nick? Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Yeah, I'll go ahead. I just, and can you ask me about pick 64? Yeah, of course, man. I'll throw, I'll throw, uh, there's one name I want to talk about. Yeah, no, for sure. So, yeah, the first, I mean, you know, the second round is hard to project uh, like you're talking about, but those are definitely some viable options. We kind of get into the draft a little further. You talk about pick number 67. What do you think the Pirates are going to do with that? I mean, I know that's, you know, forecasting a decent, you know, obviously 67 picks into the draft. So it could be just about anybody at that point. But, uh, you know, what, what comes to mind as we talk about the third round? Yeah, absolutely. You know, just like I said, 37, it's it's going to depend on where they are bonus-wise. But one name that I think really stands out that they could take with that that final pick on day one is um, he's a prep outfield and pitcher, Braden Montgomery. You'll find him ranked number 65 on MLB Pipeline, so very close to where the Pirates are picking. Um, he's 6'2", 200 pounds, very projectable, which you got like, he's also a switch hitter. Okay. So you're looking at a player who checks a lot of the boxes. Ben Charrington looks for when he's using that aggressive over bonus, um, pick like he did with Jared Jones last year in a similar fashion. I think Braden Montgomery could very much be in that he's committed to Stanford. Um, he's the best high school prospect. Um, in terms of like multi-position. So that just speaks to his, um, you know, athleticism. And that's something that Charrington looks for in his upside prospects is he wants them to be athletic. And Montgomery, he checks that. If I had to guess, um, you know, he's more likely going to be an outfielder. Um just because the bat plays, but he's also capable of reaching up to 96 miles per hour. 
but to what I understand, his secondary pitches are kind of eh. So really between his bat and just his overall athleticism, he's likely going to be an outfielder, but it's an interesting arm to look at as well. And like I said, that's one of those guys that um, Ben Charrington's going to kind of look at with an extra interest. That's the first three rounds. We'll kind of see how it shakes out after that. I mean, you know, you start talking in the hundreds and everything else. It gets hard to pick out, but some solid names there as well. We're going to do another mock draft, probably a couple more before the draft gets underway. It's changing every single day, and we hear new stuff as far as Baseball America goes, fan graphs, everything else. There's all kinds of projections that come out pretty much on a daily basis. You know, I, I still am in that belief that uh, Jack Leiter is the best player available, but we will have to wait and see. I love the idea of Marcelo Meyer and Jordan Lawler as well. Maybe somebody else even that we're not talking about. The Pirates do secure a win. We've kind of been keeping you updated throughout the episode. <laughs> some uh, some crazy baseball tonight. They had an 11 win yeah. at one point, but they uh, they win this game 11-10 to 10 to break up this losing streak that has gone on for well too long. Maybe it's the start of something here, Nick. Marty, guys, as always, it has been a pleasure. Thank you all for listening. You can find us on Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on social media. It's just at Rumbunter on Twitter. And go to the website as well, fansided.com slash Rumbunter. You can just type in Rumbunter.com. That'll do it just the same. Find articles, content surrounding the Pittsburgh Pirates, a team that is rebuilding, and it starts with that 2021 draft. It started a long time ago, but this 2021 draft is going to be a big huge of the puzzle. For Marty Leap and Nick Caparoso, my name is Trey Yannity. Pirates, back in the win column. Have a great week, everybody. Let's go Bucks. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.